And just like that, we are back with another edition of the End Zone Club, where you guys get to spend a minute with your host, none other than me, Anthony Mitchell, where we have conversations that are designed to push kids from potential to purpose. Now, I have to say, even though this has been a platform that has been pushed at youth, man, Generation X, Millennials, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wide-ranging plethora of people that are listening to this podcast. We've got listeners as far away as the Philippines. How about it? So guys, tear a page from their book. And how about you like this podcast? You know, subscribe to it, share it with your friends, help us get the word out so that we can share a good message with a broader range of people. For those who are just tuning in for the first time, do not be surprised if you come on this platform and you hear some names or some people that are chopping it up with us that maybe you recognize, whether they're professional athletes, whether they're uh, people in professional arenas, politicians or whatever. We have been blessed here at this platform to have partners that work with us to be able to engage with the kids. Now that makes me want to cry a little bit because it's always a blessing when people respond to things that God has given you a vision or an idea to do. So let's keep it going. But this is just a limited edition ordeal. But again, today, typically, I have spent a lot of time uh, just kind of interjecting sports-related topics into a lot of our conversations. But today, I want to turn the page a little bit, and I want to start with the world of entertainment. And by doing so, I want to set up today's topic, which is being promotable, or next man, or i.e. next woman, next person up. But I was watching something the other day, might have been a movie, might have been a TV show, um, but it's centered around the idea of an actor and its understudy. And for those of you who don't know what an understudy is, in acting, especially in plays, you know, the grind of acting is, it, it looks like, especially with plays that are traveling or whatever, that are supposed to night in and night out give these great performances. The reality is sometimes this great actor that you might pin down to a role, sometimes something happens in that actor's life or actress's life where they're not available for a show. Maybe they've had a baby, maybe they've gotten sick, maybe there's an illness amongst their kids or something in their family or some other obligation that would keep them from being able to perform on a particular given night. Well, what happens is when that person is not able to go, there's always somebody waiting in the wings, and that person is called an understudy. And by being an understudy, it's a given fact that any given night, you may not know when your time will be. You may be in the process of preparation of waiting a year, two years. This actor or actress may never miss work, and 10 years in, you may never be called on. But one day, they don't show up, and you are expected to be able to deliver a performance that is a can or that's just like the main person. And what that teaches this understudy or the individual who's in the waiting, it has them in this mindset that they always have to be ready. Guys, circle that. Circle that statement. Always be ready because the same way it works for the understudy and the actress or actor or leading person performer in front of him that's how life is going to work for you guys I see this all the time when I was in high school let me rewind it back because not much has changed in the few years that I've been out but you would always see kids self-segregating based upon what their interests were I see kids, you always had the kids that walked the hallways. I would see those kids and they looked like they were having all the fun. But for somebody that's like a teacher or sitting in a position of, of, of um, just of experience and wisdom, you know you're not learning when you're walking the hallways. Then you have class clowns, you've got the jocks, you've got the, the geeks or the nerds like myself, and then you've also got so many other groups. But Next man up, how this applies here is I always would tell kids, no matter what group that you're a part of, the first tip that I would always want to give you, if you're in school, if you're working a job, if you're in college, 
If you're working your first job, if you're wanting to make something of yourself, the first thing I would encourage you to do is know what's expected of you. Now, some of us probably had parents that when, you know, going back to school, when we were in school, they put this requirement on us that if you're gonna be in school, learn the lesson. Make sure you're not giving the teacher a hard time. Stay out of trouble. You know, don't make an embarrassment to your parents. Those were the kind of lessons and conversations we got and my dad would say, or my mom would say, hey, I'm not taking any C's this semester. I'm not, you know, I want you, because I know you can get all A's. Now, everybody's not able probably to get all A's. I have to be realistic, because there are some topics that some of us relate with better, but the reality is, whatever you're starting, know what's expected of you. By you knowing what's expected of you, that allows you an opportunity to learn your job enough to learn your lesson of luck that, hey, you can get the most out of it. You know, I look at some of the biggest rappers from my generation and that one time, some of the guys you see at the top right now, whether it's Eminem, whether it's Buster Rhymes, even Tupac. Tupac was an understudy. What was it, Digital Underground? Tupac didn't start off with Hail Mary and Dr. Dre and Snoop. He did not start there. He started as an understudy. That's in rapping, you see it in, in, in acting. You go back, even the Morgan Freeman, we have this running joke that in the beginning, Morgan Freeman was there. We know, we always talk about him being probably one of the older, you know, of the performers. But if you go back to the 70s, you would see him on, you know, some of the earlier editions of Sesame Street and some other shows. But what was going on was in order for him to become a great actor, in order, for the Meryl Streep's and the Viola Davises and the Angela Bassett's. They had to start somewhere where they had to learn what is expected of me. When you guys are starting out and you're starting a new endeavor, some of you juniors, some of you seniors, before you know it, the beginning of your life, adulthood is what we call it. It'll be starting tomorrow. Before you get to that point, know what's expected of you. That way you can give your all. And that way you can start developing this mindset that my time is coming. And next man up is going to let you know that when this door of opportunity for you opens, I'm prepared to walk through that door. In the military, we have this, we have this saying where we talk about being promotable. That means that, hey, the military's got certain requirements for you to knock out at each rank and if you knock it out, when the time comes and that door is open that now you can be promoted to take a step to another rank, make sure you're not the reason why you're not being promoted. Don't let something you could have been doing halt you from ultimately being the reason that you're being promoted. What is it that you lack? Is it a little piece of paper that said, hey, I knocked my classes out? Is there a little piece of personal education? you know, a personal enhancement that you could have gotten. Could you have passed the PT test? Could you have just went the extra mile, sometimes staying 15 minutes later a day or showing up 15 minutes earlier a day to maybe open the doors, maybe get the lights on, maybe making sure the coffee is brewed for everybody that's coming in so that they in turn can get their day started. There are things you can do to position yourself so that people that need to see you, people that need to recognize that you've got the right attitude, that you're dependable, that you can be the right person, that they can now entrust with greater levels of responsibility. When the time comes, how have you positioned yourself? I'll see this, I'll see when I remember when I first started, one of my first jobs that I had was in a grocery store called Winn-Dixie. And I would see this, that when we first started, what they would do, they would take young men and they would put us on the stock crew. And we would start on the, uh, the all-night stock crew, or you would work at night from 4 to 10, or you would come in at 8 and work till like 4 or 5 in the morning. Those were the shifts you worked. But what they did, they put us on the stock crew, and you could tell pretty quickly what people's agendas are, because when you get a lot of young men together, and maybe some of us are, were athletic at the time, or some of us were jocks, some of us like laughing or cracking jokes, you could tell, because when certain guys came to work, the whole environment changed. 
And sometimes we didn't get as much done when the comedians were around as when those with the strong worth ethics were there. A lot of times those with the strong work ethics, those were young kids that had visions already that, hey, I'm gonna work this job, make a little money. I'm here because I just want to buy a car for college. That was a person that was that was ultimately you're going to see down the road once we got through college now they've got a car and i'm up here or this person that hadn't really planned as far ahead this person is now bumming rides this person is now shelling out money for gas for somebody you know to come pick them up and get them where they have to go but what we're seeing is the person that was already positioning themselves based upon whatever opportunity was in their lap, that's the person that when the opportunity opened door for more, for expansion, for promotion, that person was promotable. I saw that Winn-Dixie, maybe I should throw the name out, but Winn-Dixie is now becoming a defunct organization, but it was a grocery store that gave me opportunity and it allowed me a lot of chance to see how this works because once a year in the month of March, what we would do is we would all vote on our peers, and we would, from each department, seafood, grocery, dairy, produce, um, stocking, managerial, cashiers, all the different positions, you know, parking lot attendants, we would vote on our peers, and based upon their work ethic, we would all determine who we thought should be a youth manager for a day. And as a youth manager, you would be allowed to come dressed up in a shirt and tie, slacks, uh, you know, your name badge, you, you know, come in clean cut, clean shaven, as well as hair, you know, camp and looking professional according to Winn-Dixie standards. And you got a chance to kind of walk around and you would invite your family, hey, while you're while you're out today, stop by Winn-Dixie, take some pictures with, you know, your kid because they've got some potential. We see it, we're recognizing them for it, and we're letting them emulate being a manager. Often what that was was that was a trial run for people letting you know ultimately how they view you as a worker. I was blessed to have been chosen a couple of times for a youth manager, and it really opened the door. So Learning what's expected, expected of you, that provides you a standard with knowing how you should perform. I promise you it is going to be easy when you're starting college, whether you're starting your first job, whether you're in, you know, endeavoring, you're in a new community, whatever it is you're doing new, always make sure you give yourself a chance because <clears throat> One of the grim realities of this is that sometimes just because a door of opportunity presents itself, it doesn't always mean that that door of opportunity is going to be open for you, if that makes sense. Going back to also another job I worked after I got out of the grocery store industry, uh, my life kind of took a turn. God opened some doors. I was living in Southern Mississippi. God opened some doors. He gave me a plan and that plan led me into Birmingham, Alabama. At Birmingham, I started off with a company. We were, uh, we used to build what we call window treatments, which are basically these high-end custom um, shutters and blinds. My job was as cabinet maker was I had to be the person that prepped the blinds to be painted, stained, or whatever this application was, as well as I had to do some things with some hand tools, some routers, table saws, custom fit and cut the blinds, get them prepared to fit in the windows. It was a dead-end job. I was only making $10 an hour. I'm like, man, look, I did not move four hours for a $10 an hour job. I'm thankful for this opportunity. I came to work early every day. I always had the right attitude, but as I was working this job, there was a lady that was hired with me who, one day we're in the break room and I'm eating and I noticed we haven't seen her in like a week. And this job was also hot turned over, right? So I haven't seen her in a week and apparently she's coming to get her last check. She shows up on a Friday and she's like, hey young man, I just wanted to let you know that I've been watching your work ethic and I noticed, I kind of looked at your, uh, your application, you got a college degree, like what are you doing in this position? She said, hey, I noticed that, you know, you had certain credentials on your, on your application. She says, I want you to know that my husband works for this major company in Birmingham. It was a very big industrial electronics application where they had all of the major contracts in the state of Alabama. And they had an apprenticeship school, they had a union, they paid top wages, they put you through additional schooling so that way you could perform the way they wanted you on that level. So 
She said, hey, I've already talked to him about you. I want you to come by and fill out for a job, yada, yada, yada. So guys, I'm excited because I'm thinking there's some new opportunity for me. So hey, I let my boss know, hey, I'm not gonna be in tomorrow. Whatever the case, I go, I apply for the job, I talk with her husband, man, they give me like this very invigorating conversation. I'm like, hey, at the time I'm like 23. And they're telling me, hey, you can, we'll start you off at like 11 an hour. You'll go to school for a, a month or two. And then when you come out, you're gonna progress very rapidly towards like $28 an hour. And we're also gonna pay you overtime for anything that you work over eight hours a day, which is very common in construction. So I am living, I'm thinking, this is my chance to do my dance. So I'm gonna fast forward the story real quickly. That way I don't keep you guys here all day. But I went, I applied for the job, I took my, uh, I took my physical, I had to take a physical for the job, passed it, had to take a drug test, passed it, was giving a starting date of Monday. So Monday comes around, or Friday, I come, you know, I'm still working my job and I let them know and I did not do this the right way. I should have turned in a two week notice, but I told my job, hey, listen, I wanna thank y'all for this opportunity, but today's my last day. But I do wanna know if it doesn't work out, can I come back? And I remember that guy that was sitting across the table from me, he laughed so hard. He was like, man, you've been one of the best employees I've had, but he was like, you can't leave like this and think, you know, you can come back. You know, especially with this anger being fresh in my mind that it's hard to replace a person like you. I'm thinking, I'm sorry, I tried to do the best. I'm still young and we all make mistakes, right? So fast forward, I go to this big electrical company to get a job and the guy that hires me is not there and they've got no record of hiring, even though I've got all my paperwork with me. And they're like, hey, well, Mr. So-and-so is not here. He's out of town. He'll be back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. Come back the day after. Mr. So-and-so, oh, he's busy today. He can't see you. Can you come back next Monday? And this goes on for about two weeks. And then now I don't have a job. Also at this time, I have an uncle who's a master technician with Caterpillar in Germany which is you know, a very, a very profound job. He's been there 20 plus years. He's really made a name for himself. Um, really respected guy, really respected guy. I mean, he was so good at his job that one time when he left, he got a better opportunity. He went to this new opportunity and these folks went after him so hard. They brought him on golf tournaments, flew him in helicopters. I mean, hey, we got to have you back. He was that important to the company. And he was like, well, nephew, why don't you come over here to Thompson, apply for a job, and let me do the rest. So I'm like, yeah. Ain't that what the kids say now? Yeah. <laughs> so, man, I went. Now, mind you, I've got a construction background, and this you got to come take a general aptitude test where they're trying to see, you know, how good you are electronics and, and, and mechanics and all of these hands-on things. And it's a test I've taken so many times through my three years of vocational technical education in high school, um, you know, through my four years of college, it was, there was no different. But for some odd reason, I went to take the test and I failed. I didn't know I failed it at the time, but I failed the test. This is the same exact test when I got ready to join the military that I took and I passed with a high 80 score, which, I mean, of course, I could have been better, but I had a high 80 score on my ASVAB. So, with that said, after I took this test, I'm feeling really good about it because I'm thinking, hey, I've done very well, I'm gonna knock it out. I go in the parking lot, I get in the car, and there's a Coca-Cola truck that's out there in the parking lot. And the guy's filling, you know, he's, he's got a ticket in his hand, he's pulling different drinks, he's loading it up on the dolly. And this was the weirdest thing ever. But I heard a voice that said, Go and ask that man, are they hired? Mind you, I'm at Thompson Tractor in Birmingham, and I'm getting ready to try to, to get this job. All I've got left in front of me is this test. And this voice is telling me, ask this man if they're hired. Now guys, I'm not trying to be spooky, but I'm like, no, oh no. So I sat there and I pondered it because I felt this strong urge go talk to this man. I don't know him from Adam. I don't know anybody in Birmingham for that matter. But I'm like, hey, I need to get home. Let me go. Let me get back. So I put my keys in the ignition, turn it to crank it, and the car won't start. 
This car has never done this before. So I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, well, all righty then. Let me go and talk to this man. I said, God, you know what? I'll just be obedient to what I'm feeling. So I get out the car. I proceed to go talk to the individual. And I didn't realize he was not a route man, but he was what we call a senior salesman. As a senior salesman, one of your jobs is you have to fill in for any route that a guy may be out on vacation or whatever, it's your job now to step in for him and run his route while he is out. So this guy here was actually a senior salesman. He was running the route. And when I came to talk to him, he was like, man, why don't you come apply a Coca-Cola? He was like, because I'm just filling in for this route and I have been praying for God to send the right person. He's like, this is a hard route and we had a hard time getting people to stay. So he gave me his name, his information, and I went and applied at Coca-Cola. Well, I went and applied, and uh, about two weeks later, actually it was probably more like a month later, this whole time I haven't been working, and I'm kind of feeling down because I left to go work at this new company, it doesn't happen. And then now by this time, I found out that I failed my test at Thompson and I would go back and take it again and I failed it again. And by the rules, like if you failed it like twice, you had to wait so many months before you could retest. Well, I didn't have months to wait. Well, at this time, I met this young lady and we were talking. We're just friends at this time. And man, just randomly, she calls me one, after, one, one afternoon around 11. Or is that still considered morning? But around 11 o'clock, this young lady, she calls me and she says, hey, Anthony, I was in here praying. And she said, God spoke to me. We go getting spooky again. And she says, be expecting a call from Coca-Cola. So I'm just smiling at her and I'm like, okay. And I hang up the phone and Coca-Cola calls immediately after like, hey, you know, we read your application. We'd like to bring you in for an interview. So I go in for this interview. And I come to sit down at this big round table, and I've got a regional manager across from me, but I'm not the only person at this table. For some odd reason, they had this weird thing where they were short on time, so they were trying to get multiple interviews done at the same time. So they've got multiple guys at this round table, and we're all being asked these questions, and we're talking. It's a state of confusion was really what it was. It was a very confusing situation. I'm trying to get my answers out and I can't really hear what the guy is saying because somebody else is speaking, but the guy that I sat down to interview with decided that he didn't want to hire. And I'm like, well, God, I know I felt like that was you that was leading me to talk to the guy on the route. And he had a route out in the nice part of Birmingham. And he was like, I don't think he's going to be a good fit. Uh, maybe some other time. However, the guy that was the regional manager that was sitting to my right that was interviewing the guy across from him, he calls me back and he says, hey, I, the other guy was not impressed with you at all, yada, yada, yada. He said, but I just got to be honest with you, man. I think I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going I'm to give you a chance. He was like, because you might be green in some areas. Maybe you haven't done this work. You know, you, you're kind of young. He was like, but... He had all the qualities that I was looking for in a worker. He's like, so the guy I was interviewing him, that I was interviewing, wouldn't give him an opportunity to do something else somewhere else, but I'm going to give you a shot. So, guys, I, I get in. I start this job at Coca-Cola just like the young lady. God had given this, these words of encouragement. Also, that young lady, yes, she is now my wife. Um, started this opportunity, my first day of training. I do my training. My second day of training, guess where I'm at? I'm at Thompson Tractor. The way, ironically, this worked out was the guy that I actually spoke to, I, I forgot his name and his information, but he ultimately became my senior salesman. The route that he was running became my first route with the company. So I was glad that I was obedient from that sense that, you know, God, I don't know why you're having me to have this prepared, to speak to this guy in this moment, but. Thompson Tractor would ultimately become my biggest customer. I would make money through them, but it ultimately was not the area God wanted me for it to go. But man, guys, I worked this route, Route 7. Anybody from Birmingham, Coke is listening. If you know about Route 7, you know it was the hardest route in the company. 
that pay the least amount of money. And I know this podcast is running a little long today, but I wanted to encourage some of you young people to trust the process. And sometimes in order to get these kinds of messages out, it takes a little time. So six months I'm with this company, I've got a coal mine on this route. And guys, I would come back at least three times a week. I would be covered in soot. It would be all in my nose, my eyes. I look like those miners in West Virginia. But guys, I worked this job and I did not complain. I worked 60 hours a week, five days a week. And it's a salary job, basically, mainly based on commission. And we have this weird Chinese overtime thing, but um, I'm making about 350, 400 a week. Now, when you have gone a couple of months without a job, that sounds like a lot of money, but guys, I was there on time all the time. I was always smiling. I was doing what was required of me. One day, I'm in the restroom. I'm washing my hands. I'm washing the soot and stuff out of my face. And one of the guys that helped train me, and he was a very he was very hard on me in training. I was like, man, I don't think I'm gonna make it at this company just because of this guy. Little did I know that as hard as he was on me, he was secretly one of my biggest allies. He was in another group in the western part, southwestern part of Birmingham. And they were getting ready to create this massive new route that they had a new customer that was coming on this route, U.S. Pipe. Was getting ready, we were signing them up and they needed somebody specifically for that route. Well, U.S. Pipe was very similar to the coal mine I was working, except I wasn't making no money at the coal mine. And when I'm in the bathroom, I'm washing my hands, washing my face, and he comes and he coughs and he says, hey, keep your nose clean. Mind you, I'm in the process of cleaning my nose at this time, so I'm not thinking much about what he's saying. And then he says it again, hey man, keep your nose clean. And I'm like, I'm cleaning my nose, and he starts laughing. He says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you make sure you stay out of trouble because I may have something for you. Well, a few moments later, the regional manager approaches me. He tells me about the opportunity, tells me how it will work. It's going to double my income. I'm gonna work less hours, and he was like, you'll be more appreciative. He's like, what you're wrong now, well, you may not know this, we call it a trainer route. Sometimes we just wanna know, hey, can this guy crack it? And you have cracked it. And before you quit, we would rather you come to a bigger route that we know you can run and take care of business. So guys, from there, God opened doors of opportunity. I was promoted for a position that I didn't even, well, ultimately I did have to apply for, but because of the person I was in my day to day, that let the people that were in position know that this opportunity is here and it is his for the taking. So now when it comes time to be promoted, I can put my name on the line. I can say, hey, I'm interested in this job. I go through the formalities, but it was already a done deal. I was already hired for the job before I put my name on the line. And it's been the same thing with military. I have been promoted a few times, even in my civilian job as a commercial roofing inspector. God has blessed my family where we have had multiple raises. We have taken on a lot of new jobs. I started off just as an inspector. Now I'm a trainer. I do in-house training. I do in-the-field training. Sometimes I'm called to other territories to help other guys out. And what happens is it's a day-to-day -day grind, guys. Don't get caught up in your day-to-day -day grind thinking that just because, you know, you're starting off on a low level that you're going to stay there. There's going to be opportunities for you to be promoted. There's going to be that next person up where maybe the person in front of you is going to retire. Maybe the person in front of you is going to get a new position within the company or whatever. Maybe you're in college and you just want to sit at the back of the class and don't be accounted for. Take these opportunities to know what's expected of you. Do the best that you can at it. And ultimately, when that door of opportunity comes open for you, that's meant for you, walk through it. I thought Thompson was my door of opportunity, but it was not. Thompson was just where I needed to be that day to get me connected, just in a sense of destination, to get me connected with where my purpose lies. I had potential at Thompson, but my purpose was at Coca-Cola. From Coca-Cola, I met a lot of people who have ultimately blessed my ministry. When you're looking at a lot of people that I'm still connected with through today, people that have blessed the youth ministry we had at the time, uh, rappers that would come out perform, you know, professional athletes that would come talk to the kids, uh, spoken word artists that would come do their thing, a lot of those people started from connections I made at Coca-Cola. I think this is gonna bless somebody and I hope it does. But also guys, again, like, share, 
put the word out, put it on your social media platforms, and let people know that we're in here having real conversations that need to be had. Don't ever, ever think that you were too good to sit in the shadows for a moment and learn the job, to learn to serve, and learn your craft. Because ultimately what you learn now is going to always pay it forward. So until the next time, this has been your host, Anthony Mitchell, and we've got another edition of the End Zone Club. Log on, everybody. It's your host, none other than Anthony Mitchell. And today we are coming back to the End Zone Club, having a conversation that's more of somber tone. And it's going to tie in directly with the very ending of our last episode where we talked about Jesse Owens and some of the injustices that he faced here in this nation. But before we get into this conversation, I want to preface it by saying this is not a critical race theory topic. This is not a far left. This is not a far right topic. I know sometimes in this nation, anytime we talk about things amongst each other, that because of the lines that have been drawn and how far apart we are on issues, it's hard to have honest, real life, down to earth conversations about topics that affect us all. And that's racism. And because of a, a situation that happened last night, and I'll go into the situation and then you'll understand why I'm talking about something somber versus something that maybe somebody might consider to be positive or upbeat or motivational. This is a topic of discussion that needs to be addressed more in homes because something that perpetuates folklore, legend, bias, prejudice, you know, or this systemic racist programming that some people have been indoctrinated with from a young age is they're learning principles in church and in home and in their neighborhoods that basically re-fortifies this thinking about any group of people. Now, we know racism has been profitable for those who push race. Now, I am aware that there are people who push race. There are people who push division. There are people who push walls and barriers amongst each other. This is not this conversation. But what this is, is an opportunity for me to just share even some of my experiences because I'm such a positive guy and I do get along with everybody that sometimes what's not seen behind the curtain are some of the real scars that we've had to carry or I've had to carry specifically as a saved Christian black man in this nation. And all right, all right, all right. So, so without much more pandering, let me get into what really happened. So last night, as you guys know, my wife and I, we have several kids. And um, our, uh, this, my, our 17-year-old, he's a senior, had a basketball game. And now, mind you, he is one of, if not the best player on the basketball team. But last night, he was having a particularly rough game. Real early in the game, I noticed he got three quick fouls, two of which were highly contestable. But... You know, again, that's part of the game. You're going to get some good calls, bad calls, but we try to raise them level-headed that, hey, play through it. So I noticed it, it affected the way he was playing because it felt like every time he got the ball, he was like a deer in the headlights. But there was this family behind us who for four quarters latched onto my son, and, man, they were very derogatory from the beginning. And there were a bunch of buzzwords that were used in his direction from him being lazy to him being sorry basically to the point where it was almost like he lacked class. Uh, and, and I mean, it was very personal. And for those of you who are the parents, sports parents, soccer moms, dads, football parents, baseball, whatever, you know it's part of the game that in the heat of the moment when things are happening and we're not liking what we're seeing, we feel a certain way. However, as parents, we have to be positive in these moments that when kids are having bad games or bad moments, clap for them still. Offer encouraging words when they do good things because they're in a pressurized situation already. Kids are internal. They're thinking about all this that they want to do for themselves, the goals and things they're having. And now they're having, you know, basically something that's blocking this success, you know, whether it's bad calls, whether, you know, I'm just having a bad game. I'm just not feeling it today. We as parents have to be a standard where we don't take things to a personal level when we begin to talk about kids. So this family took it personal. It went beyond him just having a bad game to there being a lot of derogatory things said about him. And I listened to this for four quarters. 
I'm sorry, guys. I'm a football guy. I'm talking about four corners, cornerbacks. But four quarters, this guy was really berating my son, and he had a bunch of negative things to say. And then at the end of the game, I noticed my son was angry. He, he basically ripped his shirt off. And out of frustration, which was not probably the best move, but listen, these things happen. And the guy behind, man, he blew his top when that happened. Again, berated him. And then as the players are shaking hands, they're walking out the court. He leans over to the older guy next to him. And he was like, you know what? That old black boy, he was sorry. They should have took that old black boy out the game. And it was in that moment where me as a parent, I felt the need to stand up for the protection of my son and to address not only how you just identified him because he is the only black kid on the team. So when you're now isolating him based upon his color, I have a problem because as a military man, as a youth pastor, as someone that strives on building unity and working within the ranks and tearing down the nominational walls, whatever we do, we're able to do that because we're always able to bring a common vision that everybody works with. And that's based upon even something Coach Orgeron from LSU. Y'all know I'm a big LSU fan, but the year we won our championship in 2019, he had a one-team, one-heartbeat mentality. And when I see you now starting to isolate players and the whole team, let's just be honest, the whole team played a bad game. The whole team played a bad game. They went a whole quarter where they only scored like two points. You can't put that on one kid. So when you have a bad game as a team, if you're going to just isolate one team teammate based upon his color, I have a problem with that. And the conversation escalated between him and I, and I was basically letting him know how disrespectful his comments were and how I felt like he set us back 30 years. But it was strange to me that nobody around him this whole game stopped him from what he was thinking. So it was apparent that he was amongst peers that thought like him and that is where i have an issue americans if you were listening to this podcast we all come from different backgrounds my family my mother is from jamaica my dad is from the south so even amongst that dichotomy we have two cultural thinkings the food my mother ate the food my dad ate were two completely different foods so what I grew up on is different than what my wife likes to eat. What my wife likes to eat might be different from something that, you know, my Mexican brothers or Asian brothers or, you know, Hispanic brothers or white brothers like to eat. But where respect comes in at is we learn to appreciate people for who they are, for their culture. And even when there are things that I don't understand, I don't establish these narratives in my mind that makes me feel like all blacks are bad or that all Mexicans are bad, or all white people are bad. That is so far away from how we think. We think more on an individual basis that this experience we had with this couple last night does not speak for the totality of the whole. If we can get to this point where we can treat people like that based upon individuals and not upon skin color, not upon these thoughts here in the South that still reign true today some of these remnants are still here some of that residue where grandfathers were teaching their sons that they were superior because of skin color because of you know these notions that hitler had we've got to step beyond that we have to grow we're more now in a diverse melting pot here in america where now all the kids are listening to the same music all of the kids like the same artists. All of the kids like some of the same brands and same national icons. The kids are getting it more and more. If you look at when the whole George Floyd situation, when it popped off and we're here and we're here in this nation and we're back and forth. If you look at the totality of the world, everybody everywhere was offended. When you look at those who were marching. It wasn't just black people, but it was whites, it was Hispanics, it was Asians, it was Polynesians, Samoans. Everybody came together because they rep they rep they saw. Y'all know I'm from the South. I keep having these problems with these big words. But they recognized this is the word I was trying to use, but they recognized a common situation that affected them all, and that's that we in all forms have all felt targeted by stupid people, and a right is right, wrong is wrong, a justice is justice, injustice to anybody, any, I mean, injustice anywhere is an injustice to us all, and that was a great injustice, seeing the way George Floyd went out, 
regardless of the circumstances or situation, it was not right. And the world came together and voiced their opinion. However, our generation up, we've got to do a better job not passing down fleeting thoughts that are built in nothingness. You got that? Let's pass this along because when you don't understand the plight of others, sometimes as a man, I may not understand what women go through as mothers, as child, you know, bearing children in these things. Also, we have to be a little more sensitive to the plight of others because it's easy to assume as a man, for example, that women don't encounter what we encounter. Or maybe it's easy as a woman to assume certain traits about men because of things. But reality is you only get understanding when you put yourself in other people's shoes, hang around them enough to see what's going on. And then you'll learn a lot more about the experience. Like true, true story, true story. Let me put this out there because men, we joke around all the time. And I'm sure you've heard this from your mother, your sister, maybe somebody you've dated that, you know, a man couldn't have a baby. They could not endure the pain that women endure having children. And we have this back and forth about that. They've even created these new devices that simulate the pain of contractions and all of these things. And we as men probably feel like, okay, I could handle that because maybe we think we're more equipped to handle pain. But that's farthest from the truth. I saw my wife give birth to one of our children, and guys, I was devastated seeing the amount of just protocol. First, they had to prep her for giving birth, and then second, just seeing that baby's head come out and, and, and all of the different things that come with childbirth, I was devastated. I was like, man, an action that I helped to create, something I did put my wife in this much pain. Man, that was devastating to me to see that baby come out. And I thought he was an alien because he came out face down and all I saw was the back of his head. And I almost started crying right in the, right there because I said, my baby don't have a face. We gave birth to an alien. And I remember the doctor laughing at me and flipping the baby upside down and, you know, letting allowing him to cry that way they cleared the lungs out and all of these things and I heard you know this particular baby being born and it was like I'm never doing that again but I got so much understanding in that moment seeing what women go through that it's like I don't even entertain that thought anymore I don't even want a woman to feel disrespected in that manner that I don't respect what she's gone through it's the same thing. I listen to other groups of people and I asked one of my Mexican friends recently. I was like, hey, I noticed there's a little tension between Mexicans and Guatemalans. What's going on with that? And he was able to share it with me in a way that relates to a lot of other cultures and groups of people. And it made so much sense. Same thing. You'll hear. Man, there's just so much division. Like you pick a crowd. Sometimes we think it's just black and white. But this principle that pits us, it makes us, pits us against each other to where it's a, a us versus them kind of thing. That's in a lot of groups of people. But the reality is, you know, what's unique as a black man here in America, we do understand the history of this country, how we got here. Again, you know, I guess double whammy Jamaicans and Haitians and the Dominicans and even some of the darker skinned Puerto Ricans, you know, they came by way of boat. They stopped in the Caribbeans first. They dropped them off and then, you know, they continued here to the States with more slaves. But we all got here by reason of the same way. It was a cruel passage. There's been a lot of history, Jim Crow laws since Reconstruction. There's been the Black Codes. There have been, you know, even the 16th Street bombings. There was the Tulsa uh, massacre and so many other things that aren't even talked about in this narrative that we learn. So that's a reality. But I am at a point where I want us to grow. I want us to be able to work through our differences. I want us to be able to build a solid future for our kids. But guys, we first of all can't act like there still aren't bad people in this world. We still can't act like there aren't people in this world that have regressive thought patterns about other people's yes it's 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 fun and games when the saints and tampa bay bucks 
are talking about each other based on sports. You know, that's fun. Sports is fun. However, after the TV is turned off, what are we really, what are we really against people about? And that's all I'm saying. Learn to treat people with respect, even if they are not your cup of tea, even if their lifestyles are different. Treat people with respect. Don't use derogatory terms when you're addressing people. Don't have these sweeping generalizations about any group of people. Because, listen, we are not a monolith. Americans are not a monolith. Also, something that bothers me more than anything is when I'm having this, these types of conversations about racism. For someone who's never walked in my shoes to be the subject matter expert on what black people experience or what women experience or what even my Caucasian brothers and sisters experience. Because, I mean, there are some instances where people unfairly target them as well. All of them are not the same. And that's why I'm having these conversations. But today, this conversation is about me as a black man and things that we encounter. I'm telling my point of view so that when things happen, you can say you heard it here first. Even situations when we looked at what led to the George Floyd, I keep going back to the situation. What led to the George Floyd situation was police brutality. Now, most black people have had several issues in this area where we have been, you know, accosted by the cops. We've been harassed. We've been unfairly targeted just because, listen, I remember even coming off of military orders one time. We were coming through Wichita Falls, Texas, and I was the only black guy in a group of, it was actually a diverse group. We had Philippines, we had whites, we had, you know, a, a good crowd of people, but I was the only black. And the story is going to get a little graphic, so if you've got kids listening, maybe this will not be the part you want them to listen to. But we're all going through the scanners, you know, metal detectors. We're being scanned. Everybody's looking to see. Do they have anything on? And I'm the last one coming through the scanner, and they're watching me from the beginning. I've got on a black hoodie. I've got my hoodie over my head. I'm just ready to get home. I've been gone from home for seven months. Seven months. I just want to get home. And apparently I must have fit a description because they made me go through the scanner and then they gave me a weird search just randomly. Never gave me a cause, never said, hey, we, I didn't have anything on me, so I didn't have anything to worry about. But I remember one of the young Filipino men that was with us, he turned around and he came back. And he was blown away because he had piercings all under over his body, under his shirt. Just FYI. And none of those piercings set off the scanner or they saw it on the scanner and they waved him through. But for me, they felt like I needed some several additional searches in front of everybody in the airport. Didn't have any metal, didn't have anything on, but I fit a description. It is what it is. And I remember him being blown away by what he saw because he said, guys, I've always heard this talked about, but I never saw this firsthand. One of the other guys that was with us was like, okay, I'm glad we got through it. Let's go. Don't even, let's act like it didn't happen. And I get his point where he was coming from. He didn't want me bitter coming home to see my family. But the reality was I could not act like that didn't happen. There have been so many issues, so many things that we encounter that we're always told that all, oh, let's push it aside. Sometimes instead of pushing these things aside, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. If you don't think for the many years of systemic racism that people encountered, I was in the Delta. I was in the Delta about maybe three years ago, Mississippi Delta. And I was talking with a guy who was telling me that he knew slaves growing up. And I was like, man, come on, come on. No, you didn't. And he was a sharecropper, grew up on someone's plantation. And he still referred to the guy that took care of them as his, basically as Mr. So-and-so. That's his own. And I mean, I'm thinking in 2010, 15, 16, 17, these kind of things weren't still going on, but there was a book that came out right after this conversation and it was saying that there was still a weird history in certain parts of like the Delta and things where even though slaves were free, you know, there was still a sense of indentured servitude in a lot of places and some people were still held under that auspices of slavery. So it does not behoove me to think that there were still people that are beholden to an old system of doing things that need to be stamped out. And I encourage you guys, if you're listening to this podcast, if people around you are talking crazily, do not 
allow yourself to be associated with that. And one final thought, guys. One of the reasons I always talk about there needs to be these kind of conversations because you have to think about the mental effect that what has gone on in this country has done to even my race of people. Like you can take somebody like Candace Owens who can get on TV or Jesse Lee Peterson gets on the radio and always talks about black people in a very negative sense. But let's think about the mental health aspect of people being held against their own will, brought over as slaves. Um, you know, they were raped, they were pillaged, they were beaten, they were destroyed, they were sold as cattle. And all of these sorts of things, this goes on for 400 years. A man begins to raise up a family with a woman. What has happened? He's now shipped to another plantation because it's more profitable to bring someone else in. When you're looking at absent fathers, when you're looking at what happened after slavery with the 13th and 14th Amendment, when you're looking at things that have happened in this nation, 400 years, there was never a psychiatrist, there was never a mental therapist, I mean, or whatever we're going to call them, mental health therapist. There was never a form of therapy. It's just like, now, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Let's go. Everybody's not built like me. Some people have trauma that are passed down that we got to have these conversations. We got to have these conversations. There are still national images about I'm in the, in the military with a hoodie, but because there's this narrative about guys that look like me that looked that certain way, you don't realize I took an oath to defend this country against domestic terrorism. Racists to me are domestic terrorism, and we saw and we have, will probably continue to see what those differences look like until we're willing to have these conversations. So even as Christians, we have to lay the axe at the root. Be honest. Go get you some friends that don't look like you. Go get you some friends, that, going back to even the beginning of the podcast, that eat foods that you don't eat, that think the way you don't think. But let's do the work, guys. And until next time, this is another edition of the End Zone Club. And if you walk away with nothing else, for those of you who are not like this guy that talked badly about my son, you rock. For those of you that go out your way to open doors for other people and to treat all people with respect as God would have us to do, you rock. But for those of you that still talk derogatorily about other people and think it's okay, it's time to change.